welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend, Matthew Smith. Welcome to the podcast, Matthew. Thanks. Good to be here. We're going to call Matthew Matt for the rest of the podcast, even though if you want to find him on Facebook, it's Matthew Smith. And this is a story about Matthew's 24. He's gay. He's LDS. He did a Facebook post on June 11th, we'll reference of 2020, where he comes out as gay to a broader group and his journey as a gay Latter-day Saint. He also shares his um, honesty about he would like to marry a man. And um, so this is a podcast about somebody who is committed to marry a man, is um, talking about his sexuality, is staying close with God. Matt offered a prayer before we um, started to record in our joint prayers that this will be helpful for you. Um, the purpose of me doing podcasts with people that are um, following a path that's outside the teachings of our church is a couplefold. One is I want to humanize everybody, um, pretty much everybody. I don't want to humanize ISIS that wants to bomb me, but I do want to humanize people like Matt, who is walking a really complicated road. And and hopefully we can see Matt um, the same way, no matter what road he chooses, is just a son of God trying to do his best in a pretty complicated situation. We just continue to extend love and support for Matt. And so I leave any judging of Matt's path up to God who fully understands the complexity of Matt's road and Matt's heart and just want to keep Matt as a friend. Um, and hopefully we just see him as somebody's doing the very best he can in contributing to society. The second reason... I like to do podcasts like this is Matt has had some suicidal thoughts and some really dark days and some of you listeners may be suicidal and I thought it would be helpful for Matt to talk about his journey in those really dark days, months and perhaps years and where he is now so that that gives you hope if you are in really dark spot. Um, and perhaps those of you that are trying to help people in a dark spot, some of the things that Matt shares will be helpful for you. A third reason to do this podcast is he, Matt is wants to bury a man, but he doesn't want to completely leave the church, and he isn't separating himself with from God, and I, I like that. Um, my feeling is God wants to be involved in everybody's lives, whether um, we're in the church, quote-unquote, or not. None of us are perfect, and I just believe that a loving Heavenly Father wants to be involved in all of our lives. So some of you listeners that are not active in the church or have left the church or another face, I think some of the things Matt share would just be helpful for you to know that God loves you that, and God continues to want to guide you. So that's a little bit of the overview. Matt served a mission in Mexico City South. We had a son that served roughly in that area. As I mentioned, Matt's 24. He grew up in Reno. Nevada. He is um, graduated from BYU in December of 2018, political science. He now has a career in finance working for Goldman Sachs in Salt Lake City and lives in Salt Lake City. Um, is that okay for an introduction, Matt? Yeah, sounds good. So um, I've already been a little teary-eyed, to be honest, listening to Matt and just the good man that he is and the best he's doing to navigate a complicated road. And I'm anxious for him to share his story. Talk about, um, let's do this first segment, Matt, pre-mission. Um, talk about who you came out to as non-straight and how old you were. Yeah. Um, so I'd always known ever since I was um, 
well, really as long as I can remember. I, I don't remember a time where I didn't know that I wasn't straight. Um, uh, as a as a four year old or a five year old, I remember um, being attracted to boys and to girls. Um, uh, I told my sisters when I I think I was eight. Um, it was sometime between I the time I got baptized and I got the ironic priesthood. So I was eight. I could have been ten, um, maybe eleven, but I, I was really young. And I told uh, my my two older sisters uh, at a really young age. I said, "Hey, I'm I'm bi," um, and I, I identify as gay now. Um, but I didn't I didn't tell people I was bi to kind of bridge the gap or make it easier. A lot of people do that because it's an easier stepping stone. I just I always thought I was. I, I liked girls and I and I liked boys. I understand now that um, although I do still like girls, um, I, I definitely identify as gay because I I couldn't marry a woman. Although I am still somewhat attracted to women. Um, but yeah, I told them when I was about eight. Um, That's younger than most of my guests, Matt. It is. It is pretty I young. Mean, how did you have the vocabulary to even articulate to your sisters the word "bye"? Um, and TV, I guess, I don't know. Um, I, it had, it had been on my mind. So, um, it was something that I, I was looking for because I, I knew at a very young age that something was, was different. So I think I paid attention to those words used in the media. And like I said, I, I could have been a year or two older. So maybe I had a little bit more, um, you know, time to, to learn those words. Um, but I'd always known, and and that's kind of one thing I tell people when, because a lot of people believe that you choose your sexuality and they think that you choose to be gay. And when people told me that I had chosen to be gay, um, I said, well, I mean, I guess maybe that's possible, but I would have had to have been three. Um, I, I I don't know when I would have chosen my sexuality because I don't have any memory of not being of not being not straight. Did you come out to any other people before your mission? Yeah, I um I came out to a bishop when I was about twelve or thirteen, um, and I came out to him also as bi, and um, we we tried to fix it. Um, he uh he suggested that I we took up the addiction recovery program together, um, and not for pornography or anything, but just just to kind of pray the gay away, and and I was all on board. Um, you know, looking back, that's something that some people might criticize for him him for now, but. But it was what I wanted, and he he was he was great about it. He was a friend. He was loving, and we we prayed and fasted together and talked together, and um, just tried to tried to have it go away. That was a dark time. Um, I, I remember feeling pretty bad about myself a lot of the time during those few weeks. Just just pretty dark. Um, but it, it didn't work. Um, but I, I I earnestly and honestly tried. Um, I, I remember even up until the time I was probably about 14 or 15, I, I remember not letting any gay thoughts stay for any more than five seconds. I, I was very, very diligent in suppressing it as much as possible. I would um, fight as much as possible. Um, and then I also came out to a couple a couple close friends in high school um, uh, shortly before I came out. I left on my mission. Talk about why that experience of going to the addiction recovery program, the twelve-step program. Did that it, that program itself make you in a darker spot, or was it just that period of time? It was just that period of time, and it wasn't something I really I really realized until I looked back um, and kind of put the pieces together. But um, I never went to the program. I just did it with my bishop. I would I would read through the book um, in my during the week. I'd meet with him usually before mutual on Wednesdays. Um, and we'd talk about, you know, what I'd learned and how I could apply it. And 
I didn't really at the time realize like what was going on, but I, looking back now, I just remember just just feeling really bad about myself as as a whole. Just thinking that I was kind of like just lost. I think because I viewed this my sexuality as just this dark monster inside me that I was trying to kill, and that's just not good for anyone. Um, I'm writing that one down. Dark monster inside of me that I'm trying to kill. <laughs> this is the the image of a 13 year old viewing, uh, trying to not be gay. <laughs> um, that's pretty good visual imagery. I and obviously in a different spot now. Yeah, I just I recognize. And you, before we started, you extended a lot of grace to that bishop. You don't hold any ill will, and just recognized he was doing the best. But I, um. To me, you know, the addiction recovery for program is for somebody who's tried something and become addicted. I I write about this in the book I have coming out. The LGBTQ people I meet didn't try being LGBTQ and then became LGBTQ. This is an inherent trait mm-hmm. or an attribute versus something you experiment with and, and became hooked. Are you okay with that distinction? Yeah, um, and I, I think that... I think that's an important distinction because I think that a lot of people, especially in the church, still subscribe to the idea that that you choose to be gay um, and that this is something that is a, a maybe not a conscious decision, but that you you know you let yourself drift towards and it's something that you have control over and and that that that's false. So I think it's it's important to realize that it's not something you can recover from. I like that because you do recover from an addiction or you learn. Yeah, so I agree that. And I love the 12-step program. Yeah. Um, we did send YSAs to the 12-step program on, during my service. I attended some of those meetings with them, and I, the core principles there I liked. But in this situation, I recognize where if you're trying to change something, um, that that infers that if you go through these steps, you'll change something that is just an inherent trait like being left-handed or blue-eyed. Well, and, you know, it's funny because as you say that, I remember even um... – I remember even having conversations with, um, I, I've always been very political. Um, I've loved politics and, and I would debate politics with my friends as, as a, as a, you know, a 10 year old. Um, cause I, I just always really liked it. And I remember debating with one of my friends, um, I think, you know, gay marriage or something had come up and, and I was, I was standing by the, the idea that you could choose to be gay. That was kind of how I, I justified it. And in my head, I, I knew I was gay, but I, I was kind of just, you know, s- suppressing that. But I, I would even, you know, as a, as a middle schooler, you know, stand by that ideology that, oh, well, you can choose to be gay, so, um, you know, you shouldn't be. Talk about if, take our listeners back to when you left on your mission to Mexico City, were you in a good spot emotionally, and were you worried about being gay on your mission, and were you hoping that if I served two years that I would be straight when I came back? Yeah, great question. Um, a, a lot of people definitely think that. Um, uh, I, I left in a really good spot. I was... Um, I was, I was happy in high school. Um, I had a good testimony of the church. Um, I, 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 when I found the church, I became much happier and I was, I was excited to go on my mission. And I never really had the thought of like, I'm going to change my, like, I'm going to, I'm going to go on my mission and come back and be straight because I still did think that I would be able to make it work with a girl. Um, I, I had tried to fight my gay thoughts as a middle schooler, obviously, and as a high schooler. But I still, I tried to date girls in high school and I did a little bit. Um, I'd, I'd kissed girls. I'd, I'd been out with many girls and I just assumed I was going to come back from my mission, go to BYU and, and find my wife. And, and that I was just going to have to not act on liking guys, but I was going to have no problem with being with girls. 
Talk about your mission. Did being gay and your mission complicate your mission in any way? It didn't really. It didn't really come up. I never, um, I, I mean, maybe a time or two it would, it would cross my mind, but I, I, I didn't really think about it that much. I was just on my mission. Um, and it, it was just, it was kind of in the back of my mind. It, it was present for sure, but I wasn't, it wasn't consuming me or causing me any grief. Talk about your feeling for the people you served. Um, I, I love them all so much. I, I, that is my favorite part about Mexico. I love to go back and I love getting on Facebook and talking with all my Mexican friends because they're, they're family to me. Um, I, uh, after I came out, a couple of them reached out to me and, and I was, I was really surprised and really happy that so many of them were so supportive. Um, uh, I, I don't know how else to describe them besides family. They're people that were there for me and my mission was hard in, in and of itself, you know, not for being gay, but just cause it's a mission. And, and I, I love those people from the bottom of my heart and I, I consider them family. I wish our listeners could have seen, um, Matt, he, that question, he just lit up in a way I haven't seen him light up. Not that he's been sad, but that's a pretty genuine answer to how someone feels about the people he served. And I can just tell how much you love the people you served. Share with us an experience in your mission. Um, that's particularly, uh, I don't know what the right vocabulary, close to you, tenderhearted to you. Um, so th this isn't, uh, this isn't super tenderhearted. This isn't super spiritual or, That's fine. um, but the, this, maybe this shows the struggles I had on my mission. Um, the first thing that I think of, uh, when I think of any struggle on my mission is I, I'm a really picky eater. Um, I, I can't eat an onion without gagging. Um, and I was, uh, there's one area on my mission where it was the first day, uh, we were there and my companion, uh, told me that the guy we were eating with was a great cook. And he was. Every other meal we had with him was amazing. Um, but my first day in this new area, we showed up and they served us a uh, pig stomach. Um, and if you haven't seen it, it looks like honeycomb. It's, it's, it, there's a netting in it. It looks disgusting. A and mind you, I, I didn't eat eggs before my mission or hot dogs. I, I'm, I'm a really picky eater. And this is my first day in this new area. And I was terrified because I'm like, if I put this in my mouth, I'm going to throw up. There's, there's no way that this is going down. And I hid the whole thing in my backpack. <laughs> um, whenever, whenever he stepped away, I pulled my backpack out and I would just dish out the stomach into my uh, backpack and it, it got dirty. It was gross. And then the like little soup that was left, I just put a ton of chili and lime in it. And I downed it as fast as I could and didn't ask for seconds. <laughs> What did you do with your backpack? Um, I, I threw it out in the garbage. Uh, so well, I kept the backpack, but I threw everything else out in the garbage. It was kind of like got a, it cleaned out. I got it clean, and I became really good at hiding stuff in my backpack. Um, that was a that was a skill that saved me um, some awkward conversations with some some members. We have a son that served before you in the Mexico Southeast mission, and he's got some of those stories too. And he loves the people there. And thanks for your service, Matt. I, yeah. It's a big deal to do what you did to serve a couple of years and to help people come into Christ through our church and the sacrifice you made and the foundational principles. Talk about, I want to talk about EFY. Share with our listeners um, EFY. Yeah. So I, to this day, say that um, my first week at EFY, which is when I was, uh, I think, 14, um, is the most transformative and most important moment of my life. Um, before I had gone to one year of high school at that point, 
And I remember being uh, really insecure about myself and especially of being Mormon, because I remember telling my friends that like, I wasn't going to drink or, you know, have sex with girls. And I was going to, you know, follow the commandments made me so embarrassed because they were like, are you, are you kidding me? Like what, what's wrong with you? Like, don't be, don't be a loser, you know? And I just didn't have the courage to, to stand up and say like, well, yeah, I'm going to stick with that. And, and it was hard for me to think, how am I going to go four years and live by these principles? And um, I went to EFY and that made me the person that I am today. I remember just on Thursday night, the, it's like kind of the more spiritual day, um, just feeling the strongest feeling of love that I've ever felt in my life. And it was so interesting how that totally changed my perspective on life because now I didn't really need to have confidence because, well, I, I heard a quote one time that was, um, uh, when you, um, like the, I, I think it was like, once you find love, you stop caring what other people think about you and you start caring what other people think about themselves. And when I found Christ's love and I found the love that God had for me, I knew that my happiness was going to come from following that and from embodying that and not from approval from others, not from circumstance, not from life going one way or another, but that happiness was found by being Christ-like. And to this day, that that's just, that's what I try to live by. And that's how I find happiness in life. That's great. Thank you. Talk about, um, you came home from your mission. I assume you went right back to BYU. Yep. Just talk with us about going from, I'm going to date a woman to, I'm not going to marry a woman. I'm dating women to, I'm not going to marry a woman. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was an interesting process. Um, I got back and I started dating girls, uh, pretty quickly and going on dates and, I noticed it was kind of the same thing that had happened to me in high school. I mean, in high school, I, I dated girls. And like I said, I, I had kissed girls. I'd gone out with girls. I, I never had an official girlfriend, but um, uh, I had some success. But girls were, were kind of very um, elusive from me. And it was interesting because I, I could look at myself and I could look at the people that I hung around. And it's not like the guys that were with me that were getting girls were very different from me. Um, it's not like I was super socially awkward or super out of shape or, 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 or any, any like obvious indication. I, I but I, I struggled with girls. Um, it just never really worked and I didn't have anything to compare it to. So I just thought I, I, I didn't have good game or something. I didn't know. Um, and I was at BYU for about two years. Um, and I, I still had never even thought about dating a guy at this point. Um, and it, it got harder and harder though. And there was one summer I remember where I went, I did, I did sales. I'm mean, did summer sales. And there was one summer I'd actually gained a little bit of weight on my mission. And I dedicated this summer to, um, to kind of transforming myself, which was actually really good. Um, I, I got in really good shape. I'd lost a lot of weight that I had gained on my mission. I got a new car. I changed my wardrobe. I, I kind of came back. I had a new group of friends started going to a lot more parties and many more people at BYU. And I was like, this is going to be my semester. And nothing really changed. Um, obviously, I was much happier and I was having more fun. But with girls, I went on a few more dates, uh, maybe, you know, got a couple more second dates. But it just, it just wasn't working. Um, I, I didn't know and I didn't know why. I had lots of friends. I met people. I knew people. But it just was so slippery. Um, 
And then I, when I started actually dating guys, that was kind of a process because I came out to a few people before that. But um, eventually I got to the point where I, I downloaded, I downloaded Tinder and I just switched the setting to guys. And I went on a few dates with guys for a, for a while, but without ever, I was very, very protective. I was like, I'm not going to kiss you. I'm not going to touch you. You're going to stay. You're going to, so I was social distancing before coronavirus even happened. I was like, we are, we're going to be six feet apart. Nothing is happening here. This is just, I want to meet another guy. And, um, and it was, it just, I, I felt like I was speaking English. Um, I, I felt like dating girls was speaking a foreign language. And then finally, when I eventually like kissed a guy, I was like, oh, okay, like this, this isn't foreign anymore. This isn't awkward. This isn't, this isn't forced. I'm not doing this because I see my roommate do this with his girlfriend. I'm doing this because I want to. And it, it was like a light bulb just came on and it just, it's like my whole life I had been just, like I said, speaking a foreign language. And then the second I started actually talking to guys and then I'd actually kissed a guy, it just, it, it just made sense. There was no, there's no word for it. It just, it just worked. Did it scare you? Um, in the sense that you recognize that I may not marry a woman and I may marry a guy, or did it just talk us through how you, the emotions and the feelings that you were experiencing? Yeah. So that was, um, that, that was really when probably the darkest part was when I kind of accepted that because, um, I had been talking to guys and I'd come out to people and I'd been kind of battling with it, you know, trying to figure out what to do. And, and once I actually had kissed a guy, um, I felt like everything in my life broke. Um, I'd been this happy go lucky, really ambitious, happy, successful, motivated guy. I loved life. And I felt like overnight, um, everything broke. Um, I decided at, at age 12, I wanted to run for president one day and I'd set all these goals. And then almost immediately, I had decided that I should just probably take my own life. Um, and, and the logic behind that was, I knew it wasn't gonna work with a girl. And when I came to understand that, and I came to understand that I actually actually was gay and I, and I was you know probably gonna marry a man, um, according to what I subscribed to in the church at the time, that was, that was the third worst sin I could ever commit besides murder and denying the Holy Ghost. And if that was the case, then I was like, I'm going to the Telestial Kingdom, no matter what I do. Um, if this is the third, if I am next to murderers, then what's the point of living right now? Because I, I don't want to be that. And that was when I kind of started having some pretty dark, scary thoughts. I remember actually the church around that time um, had uh, published an article it was by Elder Renland, who I love actually, um, but he published an article about how um, suicide is an automatic hell. And that article was supposed to be of comfort for people who had family members commit suicide. But I remember reading that and weighing it against, um, you know, gay marriage and thinking, well, if suicide is an automatic hell, but gay marriage is apostasy, then I kind of wagered that I had a better shot at making it past the telestial kingdom if I took my own life and just ended it before I did something wrong than if I went on and, and lived my life and, and married someone. 
And I don't know that I would ever say that I was like actually full on suicidal, but I just didn't see the point in living. I didn't, I didn't, there wasn't a reason to me. You're very good at articulating your feelings and the, and your very logical mind. <laughs> um, in the middle Thank of you. this emotional turmoil, you're a pretty logical thinker. And I think that's a good attribute. Talk, and thanks for being so honest. On behalf of all of our listeners, there's a bunch who would love to just jump to the microphone and, and thank you for being so honest and vulnerable. Talk, how long did this dark period last? Um, and, and what got you out of it? And maybe it's not just linear. Um, just share with us more about that. Yeah, you know, so um, Elder Bednar actually talks about how um, light comes into our life, usually one of two ways. Um, one is like a light switch. Um, where everything just makes sense all of a sudden and there's kind of like a sunrise and i felt like this was kind of a combination of the both um i had one moment that i'll talk about that was a light switch that just just struck me like a lightning bolt and then over the next um year or so was kind of like a sunrise um i was i had become pretty lost like i said almost immediately um, i was at byu i couldn't talk to anyone i kissed a dude so i thought that i was going to get kicked out lose my temper recommend and get excommunicated um, I didn't see any other option. Were you a junior at this point? How close were you to graduating? Um, I was about six months from graduating. Okay. Um, and I just felt so trapped because I, I didn't want to tell anyone. I didn't want to have something get back to my bishop. I was scared. And probably in my darkest moment was when I was praying and I was just looking for something. I was just trying to find some sort of truth. And Next to EFY, this is probably the moment that my mind was ever the most illuminated in my life. Um, I was praying, just trying to figure out what to do. And I had this thought come into my mind that is, I've never heard a voice. I've never heard God's voice. But this thought was just the clearest impression I've ever had in my mind. And it was, no one leaves this life perfect. So just get as close as you can. And what that told me wasn't telling me that being gay was good or that being gay was bad. What it was telling me is that I'm on this life to do my best and to become the best version of myself and to progress. Now, with that and with being gay, there's two options. One is that being gay is wrong. And if that's the case, then I can do everything else the best that I can. If I was a perfect man, I could do the other 90% right but let's say being gay is wrong and I got this 10% wrong. Realistically, we probably do 1% right and get 99% wrong, but that's still the same point. But even if I was a perfect man in every other aspect and I was still gay, what was going to happen is I'd show up before the judgment bar of God and I'd have that 10% wrong. But guess what? So would you. So would my dad. So would Thomas S. Monson. So would my bishop. So would some kid in China no one's going to reach that perfection. So why does my 10% not to get work done after this life, but yours does, or my dad's does, or Thomas, like, why is it that because I'm gay, I have to reach 100, but someone else doesn't? That doesn't make sense. And that's not an excuse to say, oh, well, this next life, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna worry about it, then I'm gonna do whatever I want this life. No, it's actually the opposite. It's even more of a pressure that you, you got to do your best you can in this life. And guess what? You're not going to have all the answers, but, you know, get as close as you can. 
And the other option was that being gay wasn't wrong. And if that was the case, then I needed a way to stop my time worrying about it. And, and when I understood that, I, I understood that the sooner I stopped hating myself for being gay, the sooner I could go back to actual important things like trying to be Christian and living my life. And once I let go of all this just mess in my life and I stopped spending so much time thinking about whether being gay was right or wrong, I could go back to trying to be nice to people and to trying to better myself. And that was the moment where I realized that when I was in this closet in this dark place, I was, I was going to remain far from God. But once I just kind of was myself, I could, I could get back to important things. Um, and that was that lightning bolt moment that really started me on this path of kind of finding light over the next several months and years and, and still continually trying to, to figure everything out. It's a pretty good segment, Matt. Um, some things that stood out to me, and it's kind of what Tom Christofferson has said um, as I've listened to Tom, is he just tried to be the very best person he could be. He was in a same-sex partnership for several decades, and he sort of in his book, as our listeners know, you know, tried his very best to make it work with a woman, recognized that that path was not going to work. He got married um, and recognized that wasn't going to work, and he just said, I'm going to, I, you know, this is my path, and I'm going to be the very best person I can be, um, and he continues to do that. Um, and so I... And there's no real roadmap. I recognize that I can't give you a pamphlet that says this is how you do gay and LDS. Mm -hmm. You've been on this road alone. And one of the, it's somebody's dissertation one day, if they ever qualify, quantify this, is I felt like LDS LGBTQ members have had to develop better tools to get better personal revelation because the institutional church doesn't always have all the answers to your road. But I believe the principles are there, just like you got from Elder Bednar's talk, is personal revelation. Mm -hmm. That's such a core part of our doctrine. Sometimes we don't own it. <laughs> we want to be spoon-fed everything. Mm -hmm. that We don't develop the skills to develop personal revelation. I personally believe that's one of the things our leaders wish we did a better job of. Yeah. Um, and you certainly learned how to do that. Uh, I like the pragmatic sort of recognizing the paths you're on and just doing the best now. And I love the idea that you've actually, once you came out of the closet, which to me represents shame and represents a separation from God, yeah. usually that that actually brought you into the light, got you at peace with yourself. Yeah. You could actually then having peace with yourself, feeling God loved you, feeling no shame for who you are. You actually became a better person. Yeah, no, definitely. It was, um, uh, that was exactly my experience. I, I, it was funny because, you know, the, the gayer quote unquote, I became, um, that went right along with me attending church more. Um, I had to take a step back from church because I, I had to stay alive and I had to get my mind in the right place. But kind of once I, once I got my head in the right place, I was much more comfortable praying and, and saying that I believed in God and, and trying to become like Christ and go to church and, and better myself. Um, that was kind of the thing that I realized is that I was trying so hard to fight this gay thing that with it, I was killing everything else good about me. Um, in the name of trying to be holy, I was shutting down my soul and I was 
however gay bad being gay may or may not be it, it can't be nearly as bad as just you know putting all the other light out in my life um and once i stopped doing that i just i felt so much happier and, and i got to a place where i i was actually able to be comfortable with myself and have a good conscience. what would you say to other people listening who are suicidal um that it's a, that it's natural um that that's that's um this might sound wrong, this might sound weird to say, but that it doesn't make you special in the sense that you're not alone in that. Um, you're not in that spot because there's something incredibly wrong with you. That's something more people go through than like to talk about. And believe it or not, you're in good company. Um, now, that's not to you know uh, say that that's not a hard spot to be in at all. It's just that it's that happens and that it's not, you shouldn't feel isolated. Um and what I would say to anyone thinking about that is that I was there. And to me, the scariest thing about it was that it, you know, kind of like you mentioned the logic about it. Logically, it made sense. I, I had to go against my gut feeling to not kill myself. You know, to me, what, what the church had taught, what I had added up was that I should do it. And that was hard because I was like, I need to do something wrong in order to get out of this. At least that was how I processed it at the time. But what I would tell anyone there is that like, I'm really happy now. <laughs> and I didn't think that was possible. I, I, I thought that my life was going to be so great. But once I accepted that I was gay, that I was, I was just out of luck and that it was over for me and everyone else got to be happy and that I was just unlucky because I was born gay and there's just nothing out there for me. Um, and life's good. Life's good now. Um, and I, one of the things I clarified in my post is that I'm not happy because, uh, well, I, I always thought that, you know, gay people that said they were happy was kind of like how the church describes the wicked and that wickedness never was happiness, but they have their happiness for a season. And I thought that all gay people that said they were happy was because they were just out there indulging in all their pleasures, not having a care in the world. And they just, just were living life for the moment and just felt good in the moment, weren't actually happy. That, that's not me. Um, I'm actually a pretty straight-laced guy. Um, I've, I've never had a sip of alcohol. Um, I, I don't eat, really eat. Like, I, I'm, just, I'm a pretty strict guy. And I'm happy because I live by good principles. And being gay has nothing to do with that. Being gay doesn't make me better, doesn't make me worse. It's just, it's like my hair color or my skin color. And, and anyone out there who is suicidal should know that too. That being gay doesn't mean... It, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. It, it doesn't make you better. It doesn't make you worse. What matters is who you are. What matters is how you treat people is your personality, your character, your work ethic, your discipline, character traits, things that you choose and can control. And that's how you can be happy regardless of your sexuality. It's a good segment too, Matt. That's going to help some people. This is the podcast the reason I stepped in this space was the suicide of a gay LDS teenager. And mm -hmm. um, anything that we can do or say or guests like you that can give hope to people that are suicidal is something that we can all unite behind. And this world's a better off place with you here. Your family's better off. You know that. But in those dark moments when you're looking, following the logic of your the reality of your situation, sort of being locked out of possibilities of hope and in the future... Um, I can understand why you got in that spot. 
Uh, talk about, you're very kind to a bishop at BYU, but you also recognize the, the box you're in. You actually reached out to a bishop as you were dating men. You needed someone in this really dark spot, but since he's a YSA bishop and you've got the honor code, just talk to our listeners about the dilemma that you were in in a moment you really needed help. Yeah, yeah. So um, when I was probably at my darkest, just, you know, feeling so bad about myself, you know, just um, I, I wanted priesthood leadership and I wanted priesthood help. And I, I went and I talked to a bishop and um, and I was like, hey, I'd come out to him. He knew that I was gay. And I told him, I was like, I just need to talk to someone. Um, I, I'm not here to repent of anything. I'm not here to confess anything. I'm not here to, you know, talk about my sins. I just need help and reassurance that, I don't know, that God loves me or something. Just, I, I, I'm, I'm struggling here. And he was like, yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about it. And I, I, I was six months away from graduating. And so I was like, okay, but like, if I talk about, you know, my gay life and if I say something that, um, you know, you would, you know, my, the honor code I have a problem with, would, would you need to report that? He said, oh yeah, absolutely. But it's fine. Let's talk. And if something comes up and you say something, then, then we'll just call the honor code and we'll take care of it later. And I was like, no, no, like Bishop, like I, I, I just, I just need help. I'm not here to talk to the honor code. I'm not here to fix anything. I'm I'm not here to repent. I'm not here to confess. I just need to talk. And it was kind of that same thing. Like, yeah, absolutely. I'm here for anything you need. And if you say something that you know, breaks down a code, we're just going to call them up. And I, I had mentioned to you, I, um, I don't really have, you know, much animosity towards BYU or towards the church in general. I actually love BYU. I'm, I'm a Cougar fan. I had an overall amazing experience at that school and I genuinely love it with all my heart. But that was one moment that I was, um, I was, I felt pretty, pretty let down um, because I was, I was on the edge. I wasn't in a good spot. I wasn't in a healthy spot. Um, and I made it through it, but you know, in another life or in another person, um, getting that response from a priesthood leader might, might be enough to push you over the edge. And um, I understand the honor code. I know that, you know, like I, I'm, I'm really not super critical of a lot of stuff about BYU, like I said, but um, that was one moment that I just, I was hurting and I just, I just needed love. And I, I kind of just got this, um, well, if you messed up, you know, we're just going to kick you out. That's honest. And I'm fine with you sharing that with our listeners to just develop empathy for um, your heart wanting to needing some adult in your life that could just walk with you where you were walking. And I look at Christ and I look at what he tried to do during his ministry of being with people that needed him to be there. Mm -hmm. And he created space for them to sort of be there. He was there based on where they were and sort of meet, met them on their terms and then could minister to them. And I have hope that the honor code and the BYU situation will improve so that if you know, if there's a student there and needs to talk to a priesthood leader, that that and needs gen, and needs just an adult to walk with them, that they'll be able to find that and and processing things through the honor code will be a sort of a different category. Mm -hmm. So I was grateful to be a YSA bishop in the Salt Lake County because I didn't, you know, the the YSAs weren't worried about opening up to me about what was going on in their life, knowing that how would that affect my standing with with BYU? And I was so grateful. 
And I felt I was able to help people in a really authentic way because they were just safe to open up to me. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that segment. And I love the nuance you've developed where even though you've had painful experiences, you sort of don't throw out the bath, the baby with the bathwater. Mm -hmm. It's a real mature nuance you've developed that I want to keep talking about. Um, talk about, um, you want to talk about this Facebook post. Um, we may link to it in the podcast description listeners so that I think it's a public post. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I found it. I don't think we're Facebook friends, and I read it and printed it out. It's June 11, 2020. It's a great post. What caused you to come to share the post? Yeah. Um, so I had never really planned on on coming out. Um, I just didn't really care to. Most people already knew. Um, and I, I just, I don't really like to talk about my sexuality more than necessary because I just kind of view it as irrelevant, um, like not good or bad. It's just there. Um but in, in the few weeks before I'd shared it, I had several conversations with people um, where there was two common threads that I noticed. I mean, they were both very humbling. One was that I was talking to a lot of people who were in the same spot that, um, that I was in um, a couple years ago. Um, I had a lot of people reach out to me. Um, anyone that's gay knows that, you know, through mutual followers, you can tell who's gay on Facebook and Instagram. And and I had, you know, tons of gay friends on Facebook and Instagram who I didn't know, but you just add each other. It's just kind of how gay world works. And um, a lot of people that would reach out to me that had seen, you know, my life or things I'd posted and and ask me for help and advice. And and it was alarming to me how many people were um, said the same things that I, I've talked about in this podcast, just like, what's the point of life anymore? Just feeling like everything had come to an end. Um, and the other common thread that I noticed was was very, very humbling. And it was that a lot of people told me, Matt, you seem really happy and you seem like you have a good life and you seem like you're, you're doing well. And I hadn't really considered it at that point. I, I just, I was just, just living life, but there was a lot of people who kept telling me like, Matt, like you seem like a good person. Like you seem like you have, um, you know, a good moral sense about you. You seem like you do fun things with your friends. You seem like you're doing well and your job and et cetera. And, and I, I don't share that here to, you know, show everyone how great I am and, you know, promote myself. I share that because so many people told me that, but I didn't think that that was ever possible. Um, two years ago, I thought that my life was either over or I was just destined to be miserable the rest of my life. And when I kind of sat back and looked at it, you know, I had explained that at one point my life broke and shattered into a million pieces. And I'm at a point now where not only do I think I've put the piece back, pieces back together, but I feel like I have the pieces back together better than I had it before. Um, you know, it's kind of like the, the Phoenix, you know, you die and you come back stronger. Um, I, I, I kind of looked and analyzed my life and I was like, if two years ago, I would have known that I would be where I'm at right now and I would feel how I feel right now, then I wouldn't think for two seconds about any of my life. And I wanted to tell as many people that I could Hey, look at me. I'm happy. And once again, not because I wanted to show how good my life was on social media, but because I wanted to show people you can be gay and happy. And I mean, like genuine, real happiness. Like you can be a good person. You can have a good moral life. You can, you can be successful and work hard and be gay because they're not related. What it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. And I just, um, kind of regretfully or kind of reluctantly on Facebook and Instagram shared it 
think on Instagram, I even commented, I, I didn't want to share this because like I said, I don't like to wave around my sexuality, but I just had this really strong feeling that there was too many people who are where I was and that need to know that they can be where I'm at now. And that is happy. It's a great post. Um, my desire to become like Christ became stronger than ever. I fell in love with the idea that my life actually had meaning. Isn't, I mean, that's a, it's a really good line. I love things that bring hope, connect us with Christ. You are in a good spot. There's no question about that. It's an authentic, sustainable spot you're in. Talk about President Meekum, your mission president from, and you smiled again really big from Mexico. Talk about his reaction to your Facebook post. Yeah. Um, so that was really special. Um, th there was a, there was a few people. So I, I posted my, I made my Facebook post kind of explaining my story and I didn't share it expecting, I mean, I knew people would reach out, but I didn't share it so people would reach out to me. I wasn't seeking affirmation. I, I wanted to just help anyone that was struggling. But basically the whole world reached out to me. I had a bunch of people, you know, message me, almost anyone that I talked to in the past four years, at least just said, I love you or liked or commented or something. And there was a couple important people in my life that hadn't at that point. And, and it made me kind of sad that they hadn't, that vacuum was, was definitely felt. And um, although those people hadn't reached out to me, my mission president commented on my Facebook post and said, we still love you and we still want you to run for president. Come visit soon. And I saw that and I just started crying. Um, I was in the middle of the workday and I was sitting at my desk and I opened up my phone and I looked at my Facebook comment and I saw that President Meekum had commented and I just, I just started bawling. I went into my room um, and just sat in my bed and cried because... Um, I knew that he probably wasn't super stoked about me being gay and about me openly saying that I was going to marry a guy. And I knew that he probably didn't agree with that, but that didn't matter. Um, he said he loved me and, um, and that he trusted me to run for president, you know, um, which was, has always been my life goal. And anyone that knows me has always known that. And for him to, you know, be my priesthood leader and to say, I love you. And that's it. no. No condemnation, no disagreements, no ifs, ands, or buts, no asterisks, just I love you. Um, I, I feel like I've been in a pretty good spot and haven't been very damaged, but even when I read that, I, I felt it was healing. It was really healing. It's really cool. I'm glad you shared that. Um, President Meekum didn't sell at our doctrine to do that. He didn't compromise anything. He just did what I think we all, what I saw a lot of those posts do. And he just said, love, I love you and I support you. And I love that his vision for you didn't change. He knew you wanted to be president. And he, he keyed in on that, in that simple but powerful comment. Yeah. And the message that sends to you, I think, is my vision and hopes for you haven't changed. And how healing and helpful is that? So I just love um, what your mission president did. And I felt from a pragmatic standpoint, if people that are stepping away from the teachings of the church, if I can continue to show love with them for them, that they can believe that God will love them. You're kind of there anyway. Then I think if people believe God still loves them, um, that then they're more likely just to make thoughtful decisions. I look at the fact that you said, I don't drink alcohol. 
um, you, you have less of an incentive to not drink alcohol. So I noticed some when they leave the church, just sort of, you know, they it becomes, I mean, I just like where you are. You're just deciding I can what principles of the church I can still live, I'm going to still live. But there's obviously things that I can't live that I, I've chosen not to live, but I'm just doing the best I can. And if you continue to make space for me and say kind things to me and help me feel like I'm welcome here, it's more likely you're going to be able to sustain that path versus we just make you the villain and and sort of point to you as everything that's bad in society is because of gay marriage, then I think we're going to mint more angry people. <laughs> and those angry people are less likely to have a relationship with God and their own personal lives may not be as healthy and as, and as, and as productive. Any thoughts on that? Well, yeah, I, I completely agree because that was the hardest thing for me um, was feeling like a, like a rebel or a villain because um, my whole life, I've always, I've always found value in being a good person. And that's always what's made me happy. Um, I was, I wouldn't say I was a goody two shoes in high school, but I was, I was, I was, I was a good kid, um, got good grades, worked hard. Um, I, I, I tried to teach about the church to everybody. Um, and um, I was an obedient missionary, followed all the rules, came back um, from my mission was, a, you know, I think an upstanding BYU student. Like I, I, I think I've done a good job in my life to try and follow the rules. And then to just wake up one day and, you know, be the devil was weird. And it, it hurt my psyche and, and it hurt my motivation to keep any rules. Um, because, you know, like I said, I'm like, well, if I'm this bad guy, then what am I doing? And that was, that was the hardest thing for me was to try to tell everybody like, Hey, I'm not a rebel. I'm not a rule breaker. This isn't me. I like, yeah, I like guys, but I, I, I also have brown hair. Those, those don't have anything to do with, with my character or my, my choices that I make. And I, I just hated, and still to this day, you know, there is kind of a stigma and a stereotype about being gay and especially being gay and Mormon. And, and if you're not a hundred percent active, you know, people kind of assume things and, and I'm like, no, like I, I don't have all the answers. I'm sure I have my own mistakes and I commit my own sins, but I'm trying my best. <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying to follow the rules. I'm trying to get as close as I can. And like I said, I, I don't know exactly what that looks like. I know there's some things I mess up on and I'm, I'm not perfect, but that's not cause I'm gay. It's cause I'm human. Um, I want to be a good person and, and being gay doesn't, doesn't mean anything one way or another. One of the Facebook groups I'm in is, um, Parent, LDS parents that have LGBTQ children, those good people invited me in, even though I don't have any LGBTQ children, and I've learned so much from them. But one of their greatest fears, you know, a woman just posted last night about her high school son going off to college, and he's starting to date men, and they're just, there's so much fear, not that they're dating men per se, but though it's just, it's, it's difficult to date a man, if you're a man, and find somebody that's a healthy relationship for you, yep. that it's not an abusive relationship. And it's just, it's hard enough to date straight. I've seen that with our own kids mm -hmm. in my own life. Um, but they just pray. They sort of realize the, the reality of their family situation. And it's not every parent in there, but, the, but a lot of them realize that their gay son or daughter is going to marry somebody from the same sex and their prayers kind of change 
to keep them safe, God, and help them find somebody and keep God in their lives. And there's heartfelt prayers that this really complicated road they're about to walk on, that they won't be bruised or taken advantage of. And so any advice to <laughs> um, to responsible dating um, so that, you know, you don't get in a situation that's not healthy? Yeah. Um, so I don't know if this is advice, but this is just what kind of my experience with that and something that I thought of as you were saying that. Um, uh, I, um, and especially to people who, you know, parents who are afraid of their parent, their kids dating, um, that's, that, that's natural and probably good. There's a lot of issues with dating in general and gay dating is a whole nother animal. Um, and, uh, that's something that I just thought might be valuable for people to maybe understand or relate to, um, or know that's possible is that, um, uh, after I'd been dating guys for a few months, um, I started dating a guy seriously. Um, and he was my boyfriend for a little bit. And this was shortly after I was kind of in a pretty dark spot and he was a godsend. Um, I had, you know, decided that I wasn't, you know, going to kill myself, but I was still in a weird spot and I didn't really know where I was in life. I didn't really know what was possible. I started dating this guy and there was two really great things about him that, um, were helpful. And one is that, um, him and I didn't really fit into the gay community stereotypically. Um, and that was really hard for me. Um, I felt like I was this, you know, not really accepted in the church, but when I got into gay world, I, I kind of felt like a minority there too. Um, I didn't really have a lot of the same attributes or likes or desires as a lot of gay people. And, and now I, I have friends who are gay, who are, you know, like everything all over the place, every kind of gay person you can like. But um, I didn't really feel like I fit in in the gay world. Um, a lot of people wanted to talk about things that I wasn't really interested in. I wanted a guy who was interested in stuff that I was like, I liked, and I, I didn't really find that. And I found this guy who, who, liked the stuff I did. We could both talk about shotguns and go hiking and camping together. I didn't know that was possible. Um, I thought I was the only gay person who it didn't want to, you know, watch RuPaul's Drag Race. And if so, and I have plenty of friends who love RuPaul's Drag Race and makeup and rainbows, and that's awesome. But that wasn't me. And it was really hard for me to realize that, like, there are people of all types in the gay community, and there are people like me, and there are people not like me, and I can find what I want to. And it was refreshing to find a guy and date a guy who made me feel normal or made me feel like I relate to someone. But more importantly, and more to your question, when I started dating this guy, um, I was a little lost and he was my light for a while because he was successful. He was very smart. He was driven. He um, was doing well in life. He was disciplined. He was a good guy. And he was the only thing really light in my life because the church was still dark for me and dating him was this kind of like, he was my foundation for a while. Um, I couldn't really talk to my family about it. Um, I couldn't talk to priest leader about it. Um, but I had him and that helped me to be a good person. Um, that helped me. He, he wasn't, he's not even Mormon. He's not a member. He was, um, never raised in the church. Um, I don't even know that he believes in God. Um, but he's a good man and dating him was so good for me. He helped push me to, um, 
you know, further my career. And he helped me with my job interviews. Um, I was interviewing with some big companies and he, 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 he's done well for himself. And he helped me prepare for those interviews. Um, he helped me build my resume. He um, helped me, he would do, do mock interviews together. He, uh, um, he did a lot of really good things for me. I didn't have someone there for me at the time, but he was there for me. And, you know, and at the time thinking that a gay person could do any good was kind of foreign to me. I thought we were all just bad people. And then I started dating this guy who um, helped me find myself again. And not all dating, not all gay dating is just, um, you know, crazy gay sex and everything and drugs and alcohol. Um, there's good people out there. And sometimes when you date those good people, you become better. And um, I'm really thankful for him and that he came into my life because uh, he helped me find myself again. wonder if he was an answer to your prayers and other people's prayers. I think so. I love that. And I've my advice, you don't need this advice, but when someone kind of off the record talks to me about, you know, this path, I just invite him to go slow. I invite him to generally date someone their own age. I invite him to find common ground in lots of different areas. I love this relationship you had. And I, and I am learning what you just taught is that the gay world is not a monolithic group. There's a range there. Yep. Um, just as a side note, I posted on my social media the cover of the book I'm writing, and it has a heart mm -hmm. made out of individual pictures. And somebody messaged me and said, people in those pictures don't look gay enough. <laughs> um, and I didn't really look at the pictures of if they're gay enough because I've just met so many gay people that my gaydar is not very good anymore. Yeah, yeah there may be a stereotypic person that I kind of get a feeling about, but... You know, to be honest, when Matthew walked in the door tonight and the first time I met Matthew, Matthew would, you know, never get on my gaydar as somebody who's gay. And I think that's a maturing of society. And I think it's a maturing of people like Matthew that he doesn't have to sort of take on the stereotypic um, societal assumptions. I'm not using all the right vocabulary. And you're just mature enough in your own journey that I'm going to continue to be me. I don't need to fit into that stereotype because that's not really me. And that's probably good advice for every LGBTQ person that just be your best self and don't necessarily just, especially if, yeah. So any more thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I think that's something that um, is important to be talked about because I think that it, it, it normally only gets focused on one way, which is a very important way to talk about, which is that there's a lot of guys who gay guys who have the experience of growing up and, you know, not really fitting in with the boys. You know, they don't want to play football and wrestle and, you know, maybe get along better with their female friends, might be a bit more sensitive. And, you know, they feel like maybe they're not masculine enough. And that's a struggle. And and who cares if you're not masculine enough, if you're not, you know, super tough. Do you, you be you. If you want to go, you know, wrap yourself in a rainbow and wear makeup. Awesome. If that makes you happy, do it. But I think it's also important to understand that there's another side of that too. And that I got along with the boys. I, I, I never wanted to do, you know, stereotypically gay things like, you know, dance and theater. Um, and I'm using very broad stereotypes here, but you know, that's, um, I didn't want to do that. Um, I, I wasn't ever super masculine macho man either. And I don't pretend to be, but I did get along better with, with the boys and, 
And after I started being gay, uh, that didn't change. I, I, I quite frankly, never really identified with the rainbow. I, I didn't want to fit into those stereotypical gay things. And if you're gay and you don't feel like you fit into the stereotype, that's okay too. <laughs> you shouldn't feel any pressure to be any more masculine or any more feminine than you are. Just be you. If you are like me and you like to go, like I said, shoot shotguns and play poker and go camping and just hang out with the boys, then do that. Awesome. If you want to go do anything else, do what makes you happy. You don't need to fit some mold, whether it is the gay mold or the not gay mold or some mix of the two. Just be yourself. It's a good segment. Talk about why you don't, why you aren't leaving the LDS church, even though you're marrying a man or would like to marry a man. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So that was, uh, I, I never wanted to leave the church because like I said, it was always, um, it was always good for me. Um, the church has always made me really happy. Um, there's clearly a few dark experiences from it, but the vast majority of my experiences with the church are great and I love it. And it's made me the person that I am today. Um, once I started developing a more ambiguous relationship with the church, um, and realizing there were some things I was comfortable with and some things I wasn't, all that good stuff didn't go away. Um, I still found happiness in going to church and, um, taking the sacrament and trying to be like Christ and trying to be better. And I found value there. I found that I could agree with a through X and disagree with Y through Z. And that didn't, you know, cancel out the other, the other parts that I liked. Um, like I had explained before, I noticed that a lot of people inside the church and outside the church kind of have this fear that if there's something wrong with the church, if there's one thing wrong, that means that everything else falls to pieces. And people who are outside the church, they find an error that something the church has done wrong, and they kind of pull it out thinking it's a Jenga block and that everything is going to collapse. And, you know, since Spencer W. Kimball said this one thing that's clearly false, that means that all the teachings of the prophets are also false too. And I just, I don't like that. I don't buy that. That's not how I think about religion or politics or friends or anything. Um, I can admit that Spencer W. Kimball probably said some pretty bad things. I can comfortably admit that. Doesn't mean that his testimony of the Savior is wrong or invalid. And, um, you know, people inside the church also, I think, are, are afraid to admit that because they also think that if they say that the church did one thing wrong, that they're denying their whole testimony. And if they admit that the church made a mistake, then it's a Jenga block. People in, they think the same way. It's just that those people kind of cover their eyes and close their ears and just pretend like it doesn't exist. Um, and I was really fine just being like, hey, let's just be open about the fact that the church has made some mistakes. That's okay. I, my, my testimony is mostly based on the fact that I'm happy when I live by the principles. And whatever Brigham Young said 200 years ago doesn't change how I feel now when I try to follow the principles. Um, and I just wish that more people were comfortable being able to have that conversation that if you're inside, the, if you're out the church, you could admit that there's some really good things about it, even, even if overall you don't like it. And if you're inside the church, you can admit that there's some things that could improve on, improve upon. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. It's a really good segment. You may have helped people in the church stay in the church <laughs> with that because I've had to develop a testimony. I call it my fallen domino testimony where I have a few dominoes that have fallen, but they've hit dominoes with really deep roots. 
um, that don't fall and are real stable. So I stay a committed member of the church, fully believing, but I recognize that there's things we said in our past that I'm really uncomfortable about, but I recognize somehow we never have, we've never, maybe culturally we've created this, but it, it's not part of our doctrine that everything everybody says as a leader is 100% accurate. And it's never been that way in the Old and New Testament. So we need the nuance you're teaching for, especially if you're young people who are aware of the history of our church. And they need the nuance you're teaching to, to stay in the church for those that want to stay in the church. And I admire your nuance that you want to stay as connected with the church as, as is possible. And I just think that's an unusual maturity at your age um, to be able to do that. It's a credit to you and personal revelation and just your own gifts that I think predate your mortal life. I think this is the growth you experience in the pre-mortal life would be one of my feelings about you, Matt, you. to bring you into a spot where you are at this point in your life. So I give credit to what the work you did in the pre-earth life. Thank you. Um, so I... Yeah, I just, uh, there are more um, people saying I'm going to go into a same-sex relationship and I'm going to stay as engaged with the church as I can and sort of stay in both those worlds, even though you don't fully belong or fully feel accepted in either world. And I just, I don't know how to navigate that. I mean, I've always felt at the congregation level, there should be no belief or behavior hurdles. Everybody should feel welcome at the congregation level. Um, so I hope that you, and if you do marry a man, your husband, feel welcome at the congregation level. I think you know, and your local leader would know, you can't participate fully. You can't hold a temple recommend. Mm -hmm. You probably aren't asking to hold a temple recommend. You recognize that's the teachings of the church. You're not asking to hold a temple recommend. You just want to feel like you're welcome there. Yeah. And hopefully the things we say about people like you make you feel like you're welcome there. Yeah. Um, and we just develop like your Facebook, the, the responses on your Facebook post from former companions, active people in the church. If we could, if everybody could feel what you felt in that Facebook post in the congregation and we're just going to mint less angry people and we're just going to keep us together as the common body of Christ, as we're all doing our best to come into Christ and some of us have more private things that are we're working on that don't show up when we show up in the congregation, to mm -hmm. your point earlier. And if you show up with your husband in a congregation, that's a pretty obvious thing. Yeah. It's outside the teachings of our church. Or, But I think we just, you know, so I admire just the road you're trying to walk and and talk about every LGBTQ person I meet with has difficult chapters with their parents. You probably had some of those, and those would be ongoing. But you did mention a recent experience with your father that yeah. was a real positive experience. A lot of parents want to know how to navigate this road. So just any thoughts you'd like to share about your parents? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was definitely complicated with my parents for a while. Um, uh, I They're active LDS. They're active LDS. Um, yeah, very, very active. Um, when I first told them, they were they were totally surprised. They had no idea. Um, and and I, I, I came out to them. I said, I'm bi. I want to stay in the church. I want to marry a girl. Um, I don't want to act on this. I just need help. Um, I came out to them in a, in a, in a pretty tame form. Um, and as I mentioned, I didn't say I was bi because it was a stepping stone. It was because I actually did think I was back then and, and do have some elements of bisexuality in my life. 
Um, but even with that kind of a pretty scaled back um, coming out, they were still um, not really happy about it. Um, and it didn't really go over well. We And there it's was honest. only a couple times that we talked about it for about a year and a half. And um, I like to think I'm pretty level-headed, but I just ended up shouting every time. It was just, it was just, it was just bad. It didn't go well. Um, I couldn't control myself. My dad couldn't control himself. It was just a, just poor conversations. Um, and after my Facebook post, my dad and I ended up talking and, and he ended up telling me, he said, um, I want to talk about this. And I said, I don't want to, I, I don't want to talk about this with you. I think we're better off if we just don't ever talk about it because it just makes both of us angry. And he was like, no, he's like, I want you to talk and I'm just going to listen. I just want to hear you out. And that was, I was, that was awesome. Um, I wasn't expecting that. Um, I didn't really want to talk about it because I didn't want to hear about how I was breaking my covenants and, you know, forsaking my patriarchal blessing. And I was just choosing to be gay. I didn't want to hear all that. Um, but he said, I just want to listen. And I told him, I was like, dad, I don't have all the answers, but I am just trying to be a good person. I don't know what other way to deal with this. No answers you gave made any sense. No answers most people gave made any sense. And this is the closest thing I've come to with my help and with God's help. And I just want you to know that I'm trying to be good. Um, I'm not trying to be wrong. I know that I will probably get some things wrong, but I'm just trying my best. And um, he just said, I love you and I'm proud of you and, I, and, I'm, and I'm proud of you for the path you're taking. And that was, that was probably the first good conversation we've ever had about it. And it, it meant a lot to me. It was, it was nice to get, you know, uh, some, some, some sort of affirmation. That's a good segment. It's an honest segment. And um, I think it takes parents kind of a while to sort of reset expectations. It's the new reality. It's sort of what are those stages of grief? And then they get to the point of acceptance. And sometimes when they get to that point, personal revelation for their children kind of kicks in and they get sometimes pretty good feelings about how they should manage this. And one of I have a lot of parent stories in this book that's coming out in September, and there's a big section on that about the personal revelation parents are receiving. And a lot of it is just as their kids are leaving the church or going into a same-sex relationship is just love your kid. That is the most consistent, and some, not all, all of them are leaving the church. I don't want to paint a correlated narrative there, but the personal revelation most of them are getting is, and often it's in the temple, is love your kid and leave it at my feet, being the Savior's feet or Heavenly Father's feet. And that's relieving because parents know how to do that generally. And it's just instead of trying to fix this or create an outcome that doesn't feel like it's happening. So I just, I really like that. Um, there's an Ensign article, um, listeners, that's, that came out in June or July in the Ensign. And it's by Krista Rogers Mortensen. It's called you love, he saves. And it's by an active LDS woman whose most of her adult children have left the church. And I'm going to read some of this. It's a great article. Um, For a long time, I pleaded with the Lord to change their hearts. And finally, the Lord answered my prayers, but not in a way I expected. Instead of simply changing my hearts, my children's hearts, he showed me that I need to start by changing my own heart. While parents play an important role in teaching their children, he reminded me my role isn't to judge or to save them, but to love them. Jesus Christ is their Savior and judge. 
in my determination to change my children, to save my children, I'd, I spent many hours praying, reading my scriptures, going to the temple, thinking that if I all did all the right things, I would qualify for God's intervention, as if somehow my action would lead God to override their agency and influence them to believe as I do. My husband and I wanted so badly to save them, but our version of saving them looked more like lecturing, nagging, or showing disapproval of their choices, which ultimately led to contention. We realized in our desperation to bring our children back, we were actually driving them away. The more they felt our judgment and disappointment, the more they avoided us. I get tenderhearted with this article. My chair, prayers changed, changed for my plea to change my prayer. not a very good reader, as my wife knows from reading <laughs> scriptures. I often read the verses in the wrong I, I'm dyslexic or something. Anyway, my prayers changed to a plea for my own heart to be changed. I prayed for more love. I prayed to overcome my feelings of shame and embarrassment that my family didn't look anything like the perfect families my friends displayed on social media with photos of their children's temple marriages or grandchildren's baptisms. How do you feel about those words? Um, I think that it's a very common uh, mistake that people make that if you're loving someone, you're condoning all their sins. And I know that a lot of, a lot of gay parents or a lot of parents of gay children or parents of children who've left the church think that if they show love to their kid, that they're saying that what they're doing is okay. Um, and I remember, I remember experiencing that in high school. Um, all of my friends were non-members in high school and they were the partiers and I was a very active member. I remember a lot of a lot of members of the church kind of looking at me weird for hanging out with people because I'd bring them to church events and and they'd be like they're not supposed to be here you know and they kind of be weird about it and they would ask me like why do you hang out with these people and it was always so weird to me because Christ hung out with people who did a bunch of terrible things and he never condoned it he never said it was okay he never said that what they were doing was fine but he loved them and being someone's friend doesn't mean you agree with them on everything doesn't mean you're saying that what they're doing is okay. You don't have to, you know, make it clear every five seconds you're around someone you disagree with that you disagree with them. Um, if anything, that's probably just going to make them dig their heels in further. Um, the only good that you're ever going to do is just just by loving them. And you can be clear that you have disagreements and you can be clear that you have your values and, and you probably should be. Um, but no change is ever brought about by harping on someone, or at least no good change. Um, it's brought about by being clear about what you believe in, but by doing it in a, in a, in a, in a Christ-like and loving manner. I agree. Um, I'm glad the Ensign um, wrote this article because I think there's a lot of LDS parents that are really grieving adult children that have left the church, and I'm glad that our church is addressing this, and that's a relieving article for parents, I think, to basically say, you know, this is just the practicality of a lot of great LDS parents that have adult children that have chosen a different path, and our job is not necessarily to bring them all back. Our job is to keep our family circled together in love and support, and often parents like me have to go through a process of developing, like this wonderful mom talks about in this article, of developing maybe refined Christ-like attributes to be able to navigate that. Um, I've always... You know, what was I going to say? Um, 
my brother has adult children that have stepped away from the church, and he's talked about this quite a bit. LDS Living wrote an article, and he he doesn't worry about having empty seats in the next life. He's just going to leave that Savior's feet, um, but he's going to make sure there's no empty seats in this life around the kitchen table, around That's the family awesome. vacation. And so he's just making sure everybody's welcome in the family, and the family circles together. And I agree with you. I think we create a false dichotomy that to fully love and follow God, we need to stop loving some of his children. And I just don't think it's binary like that. No, I, I don't think so either. I, I, I think that it's, it's quite clear in, um, in the New Testament how Christ treats people he disagrees with. The woman caught in adultery, he never says that it's okay. He never tells her to go commit adultery. He never, never supports that action. He's very clear that, you know, it's not okay. And then he still loves her. He forgives her. He tells her to try again. Um, I think a lot of people think that also kind of how I thought about being gay is that if your kid leaves the church, then nothing else good they do matters because their sin of leaving the church is going to outweigh everything else. And I don't, I don't think that's true at all. I, I do think that the church is, is, the, is one of the best, if not the best places to, you know, prepare for the next life and, and to, you know, become the best version of yourself. But there's, plenty of good attributes you can have and you can be absolutely a Christ-like person and not have your membership in the church. Do you pray um, to find the right guy? Yeah, um, I do. Um, I, um, I, I, like I said, I, you know, I've, I've kind of struggled in the gay world, not really feeling like I, I, I belong there. And so I do, I do ask, you know, and I look for help to be able to find someone that I, I identify with because sometimes I feel like they're not, they're not real. <laughs> I would encourage our listeners that feel like they're, I, I think our listeners know my tone well enough that I don't invite anybody to go down a path outside the teachings of our church, but if they self-determine and they feel like that's their path, I'm going to walk with them and try to help them make the very best decisions they can. And I have got to this space where I I would encourage Matt or any of our listeners to involve God in helping you find a partner. If you feel your path is a same-sex marriage, I I just, it's complex, but I, I would invite you to continue to pray to God to help you find your partner. Um, the God I believe in is going to help you on the path that you feel is best for you, do the very best you can on that path. And I think you're going to do better on that path with God in your life. So that's the way I navigate that. Um, I've shared this story. We're going a little long, but I just very reflective today. Maybe it's because we've been on a podcast in a few days and I have more mental energy. But I've shared with our listeners, I went to my 40-year reunion, my high school reunion last summer, and we did the slideshow of everybody that had died. And there's a longer list there, Matt. And But one of the guys is a guy that I knew in high school was gay. And um, I didn't... I use LDS and I separated myself from him. I didn't have the tools to realize I could be an active LDS and have gay people in my life. And, and I think he felt that from a lot of people and he went to a big Metro city and that was really the only place that he felt like he could belong. And I think, and he died 10 years after we graduated from high school, maybe 15, I found his obituary. It's a great obituary. What an incredible young man. I think he died of AIDS didn't say that on the obituary. And as this picture came up, you know, I just thought, and that day, that week before I'd done a podcast with a young man, 
high school age young man that was just graduating high school. He was a student body president, um, came out as gay, star member of his basketball team, didn't fit the stereotypes, was not LDS. And I just looked at this young man and I thought, given the spot he's in, he is going to have a great life. He's going to come to his 40-year reunion and he's going to have a great life. And I just, and so from a pragmatic standpoint, I just recognized you're not going to end up with that high school kid, you know, mm-hmm. from my 40-year reunion because of a mission president that says that on your coming out post and family that's trying to do the best they can and just companions and people from Mexico and I just think that's a maturing of society that we're putting our arms around you and recognizing you have a really difficult road and you face choices that um, straight Latter-day Saints never had to face. So we're just going to help you feel our love and support and keep you in our lives because we recognize that that's just what we should do as disciples of Christ. Any thoughts on that <laughs> five-minute speech? <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, I absolutely love that because I think that it's, um, it's interesting how that's not like the the default in church culture. Um, it, you know, y- Utah, for example, kind of has a, a maybe a negative stereotype of being kind of judgy, you know, and maybe there is a negative stereotype about Mormons uh, being that way too, and, and it and it baffles me because. When I, when I, you know, read the New Testament, I read the Book of Mormon, and I, and I came to know Christ, I, I never once considered going around condemning everyone that was doing everything wrong. I just, I didn't, I didn't see that in Christ. I didn't, I don't know where that came from, you know. And, and, and to me, I feel like, you know, you know, well, and I, I would have people tell me like, oh, you know, you're, you're a Mormon, but you're not, you know, you're not like most Mormons. And I'm like, oh, well, I hope most Mormons like can love someone they disagree with. Like, I feel like that is just a core tenant of the gospel and the atonement. I don't, I don't think that should be a, an exception or make you an edgy Mormon. If you have friends that are, are sinners, quote unquote, I, I think that should be the, the default option of the gospel is loving people and loving people doesn't mean condoning them. Um, and, and that was actually, you know, that, that, that was, that was one thing that I kind of struggled with when I started coming to terms with being gay was that I, I heard a lot of people say, um, uh, say that we should just love gay people, you know? And I was like, well, yeah, but that doesn't mean what they're doing is right. You know? And, and I didn't really find comfort in that when people saying we need to love others. Cause I was like, well, I can love someone, but I, I can still disagree with them. And that, that's a hard road to balance. <laughs> um, but I just, I think that more people need to understand that like, Loving someone does not mean that you're condoning everything they're doing. Loving someone is just the default of the gospel, and that is what Christ teaches. Are you okay with gay people, um, a gay man marrying a straight woman? Are you okay with gay men that stay celibate in the church? Tell me how you feel about other gay people walking different paths than you walk. Yeah. So I I have a hard time telling anyone that, you know, how to live their life, Um but what I can say is what I found for me personally. And I'm not going to say that someone else's lifestyle is wrong, but I, I may I may think that it's not the useful, what, what, not as useful as it could be. What I found is that I, I had three options, that I could you know, marry a man, marry a woman, or be celibate. Um, I felt like being celibate was not using the life that God gave me properly. 
assuming that the church is correct and that exaltation is between a man and a woman and you have to be married to be exalted. Um, I don't think that being single is the best way to prepare for that. Even if me bearing a man, even if that marriage isn't going to be eternal, I think that's a much better way to prepare for exaltation and being in a relationship than being alone. Because so many people just focus on sex when it comes to being gay. Um, but it's a lot more than that. Um, being celibate is a lot more than life without sex. It's also a life without love. And I didn't think that was good for me. I thought that I would be a lot better prepared to be exalted if I had married a man, learned to love him, put up with him, deal with him and his problems, maybe adopt some kids, learn to raise them, than if I just lived alone. That didn't seem consistent with the principles of the gospel. It, it seemed actually very antithetical to the gospel to be alone. Um, people get so hyper-focused on, well, if you marry a man, that means you're going to have sex with him. It's like, well, yeah, uh, yes. It's also going to mean a lot more than that, that I don't really think is outweighed by having sex with your monogamous partner you're legally and lawfully married to. Um, when it comes to marrying a girl, that was, um, that was a lot harder for me to actually not accept. Even after I had had a boyfriend, I still considered dating a girl or marrying a girl because I do kind of like girls. Um, and it's very different for everybody. Sexuality is a spectrum. Um, you're very few people are gay or straight. Almost everyone is, is some kind of something in between, even if it's 99 and 1%, but it's, it's not, it's very rarely black and white. Um, I had a lot of people tell me that I should marry a girl. And I know a lot of gay people face pressure to marry a girl because a lot of people think that if you just try hard enough, it's going to work. And for some people it does, and you can get through it. Um, but I had tried dating a girl at one point, um, and it almost worked, um, but it was, it was difficult. Um, to give a little background, um, I think this is something important that some, that people understand about being gay. And this might be a little sexual, but I think it's actually very important that people understand. Um, a lot of people tell gay people just to marry a girl and to put up with it and to get through it. I've been kissing girls since I was 10. I've kissed a lot of girls in my life. I didn't know the guys were supposed to get an erection when they kissed girls. I didn't, I had no idea. I think that happened maybe once or twice. And I share that not to just dive into my sex life but because a lot of straight people don't get, it doesn't work means it doesn't work. <laughs> You can you can sh sh put electricity, try to put it through a non-conductor. It's it's not going to go through. It, it doesn't physically work. And when I finally kissed a guy, I was like, oh my gosh, this makes so much more sense. And all these people were still kind of trying to tell me that I should marry a girl. And, I, and I, I shared that with them. I was like, okay, like, I'd be happy to marry a girl if you could explain to me how sex works like this. And a lot of people had never, ever thought about that before. They, they never realized like, oh, I don't know what you'd do. Um, so I learned that marrying a girl wasn't going to work. Um, I liked kissing girls. I like being with girls. I still, you know, to a certain extent do, but it's just not the same. It doesn't work the same and it would never work for me. Thanks for being honest. This is the vulnerable on this podcast and that's tender topic, but I think it's educational, which we're trying to do. And 
I think better information and better education makes for better decisions. So I'm glad you shared that segment. And my guess also, and I think you answered this anyway, is a lot of LGBT people get in the space where they just want permission to own their own story and they give grace to everybody else's story to be authentic to them. So I think you said this, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but if someone does feel their path is a mixed orientation marriage, you're, you're, you'll support them. Um, if someone feels their path is to be celibate, you're going to support them. And so, yeah, absolutely. I would, um, yeah, if, if someone says that they think that that's what they think is right, then awesome. I'm not here to tell you how you how to live your life. I, I I would definitely share my story and share my views on it. And if we disagree, that's fine. That's um, good. And I just think that's a great spot. I mean, it is a challenge. No one's looking at the straight people and sort of looking over their shoulder, judging their situation. But mm -hmm. there's so many ways to do LGBTQ. One of the things I think we just have to do is let everybody do that the best they can. And even other LGBT people not getting on other LGBTQs cases for doing it a little different than they're doing it. And even in that community, sort of creating space for everybody to do that, because it's not a monogamous group, as you pointed out. And I think that's just a mature space for all of us to just, you know, let people self-determine their own path and support them. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners, Matt? Um, oh, I've shared a lot. Um, uh, I think just kind of the the main point that I, I kind of started with and, and talked about earlier was that um you know there there isn't a clear path. Um I I still don't have all the answers. And like I've mentioned multiple times, I I, I know that I, you know, I, I make some mistakes and I don't know everything right. Um uh nothing's black and white. Your sexuality, your relationship with the church, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Um but I just I just really wanted people to know that like you can be gay and you can be happy um and you can be a good person and i could go stand before god right now and obviously have a lot of stuff that i need to get better at but i wouldn't feel any worse about it than when i was 16 and super active and you know never committed a sin in my life and was straight quote unquote um, I'd probably approach with just the same same conscious, maybe even in a better spot, because I feel like I've progressed more. Um, God sent us here to get better. God sent us here to improve and to do the best we can. And if you don't have all the answers, that's okay. Don't throw everything away just because you don't know everything. Just do your best. And no matter what, you're going to show up and you're going to have something wrong. No matter what you do, whether you're gay or straight, black or white, anything, you're going to have some mistakes. Maybe one of those is being gay. Maybe it isn't. I don't know. I don't think it is. I don't think it's wrong. Maybe it is. I, I, like I said, I don't know. Just do your best and you can be happy. That's great. Um, thank you, my friend, Matthew Smith, for being on the podcast. Um, we'll link to your June 11th Facebook post so people can um, read that post and read the comments. And um, thank you for your insights. You have a great life ahead of you, Matthew. On all, on behalf of all of our listeners, we really appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing your journey with us. And this is Richard Osler, uh, your host, signing us off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Mm -hmm.